So the, the reason we gather is, uh, is a, there's a kind of consolidation that occurs in our gathering uh, where each of us remi- each of the bodies next to us remind us of our of our own place in life and call our attention back to th- your own body and for many people uh, their frame of reference spiritually is not their body we have uh, often eccentric and esoteric ideas of what it means to be spiritual. We would like to go kind of cosmic rather than local. Uh, And we think of Ouija boards and seances, but we don't think of a relationship with our body as being spiritual. In fact, our body doesn't represent, it represents uh, something that uh, is so mundane and ordinary uh, and, so, and something that uh, is uh, kind of enslaved within the mind. It belongs, we have a body, but we don't really feel like we are the body, do we? Because it kind of belongs to us. It's an appendage of, of, of what it means to be alive. Hmm? And so when, when we call ourselves home, we don't really want to call ourselves back through the body. We want to call ourselves into something esoteric, some new state of mind, some revelation, some uh, idea of, of um, enlightenment or uh, some, something that uh, isn't mundane, isn't normal, isn't everyday. And so to call ourselves back into the body is not where most of us want to reside. And there's a temptation early on in meditation to stay very distant from the body, to have an out-of-body experience rather than an in-the-body experience. In fact, we think, you know, we read about out-of-body experiences, we think, wouldn't that be great? The harder, the harder truth is that uh, those are, that's a much easier experience to accomplish than an in-the-body experience. Uh, because, not only because of our history within our own body, which is considerable, and if you look at that history, uh, oftentimes you see the scar tissue of our past. It's kind of like uh, going back to where you were raised, you know, the home. or the, And you, for most of us, there's a sense of um, resonance in that. But there's also, you know, you also feel what it was like to be a child uh, back in that landscaped home and the hills or whatever it is and it's not always comfortable to go back there's the not only the childhood experience that could be have been very unpleasant or pleasant depending but also uh, you know the high school years and all of the ways that that land holds the resonance of our memories well welcome to the body because the body is very much the holder of the number of years that we have been alive within it. And it holds that same kind of emotional residue that is not always welcomed. It may be that you had an easy uh, childhood through with your body. But when you face the 
pages of Cosmopolitan magazine, suddenly the cultural context of what beauty is and our own reflection in the mirror is so um, contrasted that uh, we only see problematically when we look at the reflection. We only see what we don't have. We only see where we are lacking. And so our relationship to the body intones this sense of, of annoyance, really, with ourselves. I mean, the cultural context is so abrasive. Is it any wonder that deeply embedded in each of our psyches is a deep sense of self, uh, of that same sense of self-annoyance, when nothing, the context of what it means to be a good person, we our minds don't display the be- representation of beauty, our bodies don't mirror. And may I say, no mind represents the ideal of spiritual content. None. None of you. And including the speaker. So let's just all hold hands here. And none of our bodies represent the pages of magazines that I've ever seen. As a matter of fact, I want to know where those people are because I have never seen them. (laughs) And so, okay, so then what, what about the rest of us, which is all of us really? How do we, how do we walk this thing so that we can approach ourselves again? Because approaching ourselves is the whole spiritual journey. It is not esoteric. When the Buddha was confused, he didn't point upward to the stars. He pointed down to the earth. He touched his hand to the earth, connecting with his body to everything that is direct and immediate. And he was signaling in that Mudra, and you'll find many statues of the Buddha in which his hand is tipped down, touching the earth. The understanding of that, the welling up of that, is the complete contentment within this moment as we are. And many of us don't feel that contentment because we we don't have an abiding relationship, let alone with our bodies but not with certainly not with our minds so the gateway the gateway to the spiritual is through the body that's why in this tradition we start with the resonance of the body through the breath the breath is a body experience and the physicality of the body is is being touched not only through the breath, but through the pains and the aches and the itches and the just the weather vein of the body. And also, but when we come into that, we also come into the scar tissue that the body holds. So let us not pretend that there aren't emotional components to even entering this home of our own belonging. Because there are. Now, we have to understand the body. We think, we don't really understand, we've kind of, we have an idea of the body as sort of being a slave to what we want it to do. We 
we enslave it. We criticize it. We, you know, it's, it's, it's limitation. The limitations are always what, what are felt in the body. We're not as good at that and we're not as flexible and we're not as small as or whatever the context is. But more than that, I look at the body as hardened mind. Because in fact, what you'll find is that there is very little demarcation. In fact, there is no demarcation between the physicality of the experience and the mentality of the moment. You'll see that as you welcome the body, emotional responses that have nothing to do within the context of what's going on. There isn't somebody, suddenly you'll be sitting and you'll feel enormous rage or anger or loneliness or pity or whatever, the whole, whatever, that will be coming out of the body because it will have been locked into the cellular structure of the body. And as our mind touches the core of the body, much of of the healing happens because of our willingness now to be conscious of the body rather than to treat it as an enslaved like a like a horse or an animal or something or an appendage and this sensitivity of welcoming this willingness to develop an, an um, okay just let me is the meditation, the welcoming ourselves back in to the immediate ground of ourselves, is the meditation. Now, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been on retreat and people have come who may not be feeling well or may have some chronic pain or whatever might be occurring. And they say, how can I ever have a successful retreat with this, maybe I should go home. I said, well, you're welcome to go home. But if you connect insensitivity to the body and what it needs, that is the definition of being on retreat. So if you feel you don't have the energy to do what your expectations of coming on a retreat were, so um, that you were going to sit and walk with everyone, but the body is saying that it needs more rest or it needs to walk or exercise or it needs uh, whatever it needs, not to follow the messages of the body is adharmic. Not in alignment with the greater sensitivity that is the practice. The practice is to connect heartfelt, with what is in front of our eyes, and in this case, the body, and to work in accordance with the needs of that relationship, with sensitivity. Now, that throws everybody's expectations far off because nobody has the perfect Buddha body that sits there like a stone statue, which he is depicted in stone or metal, and with that kind of upright, absolutely unflinching, right? So, so none of us are the Buddhas, right? But we all have the potentiality to connect with what is there and to welcome that connection in. If, if, we, if, we, can, if we can make this point together, 
if we can make this point together, that what it is is to connect in a heartfelt way with what it is what is arising, then your meditation will take off like a rocket. You won't breed a whole series of expectations for your meditation that are antithesis of what you're able to do. What you're able to do in connecting with what you're able to do is the meditation. And feeling every one of us have limitations in that kind of way. Now, what we have to be very careful of is that side by side with the sensitivity of heart that allows and accommodates the body's needs is the mind's need for indulgence. And so I'm not talking about an indulgent relationship with the body. Oh, I'm tired and I think I'll just stretch out. Or, well, sitting feels a little uh, difficult. I think I, he said just do what's, you know, where I'm, when I'm, I'll connect with the body and the body saying no, no more. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. It's not just following your, the shake of, or the nod or shake of your head. It's not just doing what you like to do. That's, that's indulgence. The definition of doing what you like to do is indulgence. So let me give you an example. You can do exactly the same thing from indulgence or from connectedness. For instance, you didn't get enough sleep. You're in bed. The alarm goes off. And you say, oh, I need more sleep. So you stay in bed. That's kindness. You stay in bed, the alarm goes off, you've had plenty of sleep, but it's so comfortable that you don't want to get out of bed. That's indulgence. From the outside observer, I don't know which one is occurring. But you do. And for you to take a stand, because indulgence is what has gotten us in to the ecological financial fix that we are now in as a, as, a, as a world. So it requires, it requires a discernment of mind to know the edges of ourself. And yet, this is where the mind comes in to uh, intrude not only in indulgence, but it could also be in hardness, especially males, Whereas, you know, you're not going to, I'm not going to, your, your body's in complete pain, there's enormous fear of the mind, and my God, the bell hasn't rung yet, and you're not going to move because it would show that you were something, some, some fill in the blank, or just the inward compelling hardness of white knuckling our way into manhood, or womanhood. All of that nonsense. That's nonsense. That's cultural induced nonsense. This is sensitivity is we don't know what it looks like because most of us haven't accessed that relationship to ourselves. And so we have it's like reading Braille. We just do this one sensation at a time. And so we're as we're sitting, and may I say it's because of personal example that I can tell you this. When I was in the uh, early stages of my practice, very early, one of the first retreats I ever did, there was a taskmaster as a teacher, and he had us do vow hours. And if you sat 
and there are a whole bunch of very experienced practitioners in there, and then there was me, who <laughs> was the first meditation retreat I've ever done. So these vow hours, you, you sit absolutely, you could not move for one hour, and then the bell would ring, and if you wanted to move then, you could, but then if you didn't, you would have been, been locked in for the second hour. And that went on for three hours. So I was hurting after the first hour, but nobody got up. <laughs> so I wasn't going to get up either. And by the end of three hours, tears were coming down my face. I was in complete sweat. And I'm, this is absolutely true. And then the subsequent sittings, if the slightest irritation arose in my body, the fear, because I had now conditioned panic of pain into myself through having sat intolerably with myself, as soon as that pain arose, I panicked. And then I was stuck not only with the minor irritation that I was afraid was going to explode into a three-hour sitting, you see, so we we don't do we don't do ourselves we don't give ourselves it's not a positive thing to overextend but to sit at the threshold of where the mind says i have to get up and just play with that just a little bit see that it's the mind's determination and if there isn't a real contraction around the pain and if there's a scene of the fear response to the pain which says if you don't get up you'll never walk again or some some, permuta- some permutation of that theme and you think wait a minute you know is that true you look at your body realistically with sensitivity and you say no I can, I can, well, let me just hold this thing for a few more seconds so you see that the threshold can be played with without self abuse right so be willing to do that But first coming into the body and taking a seat within our body exposes us, as I began to mention, to the scar tissue of our life and the emotional, all the reasons that we um, escape our body and stay a couple of feet out of it, we have to um, re-acknowledge a new relationship with. We come back into our body through those scar tissues. That emotional trauma that the body has uh, encapsulated within itself do not go away from avoidance, from being unconscious. They go away through our welcoming our attention back into the body. And with that, they are then activated. So some of the, the pains of our lifetime become begin to express themselves as the emotional experience of the moment. But when you feel an emotion, it is healing itself. When you don't feel the emotion, it's, it's in latent form. And it's still there. And we are running from it. So it controls us through the, uh, the, the suppressed conscious un- unconscious attention. And so when we're willing to welcome whatever is in the body back, we feel those emotional responses. The feeling of them is how it heals. It's like when you have a, a, a sore, it hurts as it heals. But the healing is the process of it. I mean, the hurting is the process of the, of the healing. So too, 
in re-exposing our conscious attention to our body, we begin to feel those things, but then it's not as if we're engendering new scar tissue in our body. We're just, we're just opening it up so to the air, to the air. And that's the ultimate resolution, is the air of our conscious attention to the acceptance that it so desperately needs the acceptance, the allowance that every single cell so desperately needs within us. For every cell is alive. And if, though you may not be able to feel its consciousness, it is there. We just have harbored our sense of identity in the top three inches of this body and mind. But every cell is alive and is fed and is a part of that stream of consciousness. And we will be able to feel that as we become comfortably embodied within ourselves. Okay, enough for this morning. So we're exploring the subject <coughs> together of the body and the mind, the, the body uh, inviting uh, awareness into the body and why it is that it seems so uh, hard uh, to welcome ourselves back home when this body has been with us for so long we barely recognize it or know it. Uh, and the first thing we realize, as I've mentioned, is, is the relationship we have with it. We don't aren't really interested in connecting with it, which is ninety nine percent of the problem. <clears throat> We're interested in having it obey us, you know, you know, kind of directing it, you know, like we like a horse that we had, you know, go left, go right, in case they eat straw. Put <laughs> up with that. And, and, but, but not connecting with it, <clears throat> not really understanding it, the willingness to have a relationship with it. Because that requires something else from us. And our minds are not interested, in the most part, in having a relationship with anything. Why the body? I mean, the body, we sense, could contain some explosive elements, show us some truths that we don't want to see. So we would prefer um, not connecting with it, but if we look around, there's very little in life we connect with at all. I mean, connect with it is to stop. Cease opinionating. How, connecting isn't to meet somebody through your opinions. That's not connecting. That's connecting with your opinions. All you see is your reflection of what you bring to the situation reflected back to you. That's all you meet when we bring our opinions to any situation to any experience but when we want to connect we want to know what that is we want our desire uh, to involve ourselves in it is thorough and that means we need to open ourselves to it to what it is that's what the body requires from us it requires that uh, resolution of spirit that really wants to understand this thing how does it move? And how does it? Move? I don't know. How does it move? How do you do this? You tell me because I can't figure it out. 
And yet, something happens that can't be done. How do we put one step ahead of ourselves? How do we breathe? What is this thing that seems to fill a part of it and then claim ownership over the rest of it? What's that? And are we willing to meet it on its terms? So what's it look like when we actually enter it? Come into it and connect and feel, as the Buddha said, the body within the body. Because there's the immediate uh, contempt that we bring to the body. That's meeting the body as the body. But the body in the body is the experience of body lying beyond the judgment that we have, the facade of judgment that lies over it. To meet the body in the body. And it comes alive. It's, it speaks to us. And we realize that unless we connect to anything, there can be no healing. I hope you hear that. Because if there's a message to meditation, it has to be that one. That turning away from anything does nothing to alleviate the pressure or the pain or the anxiety associated with it. That until we're willing to meet it and to really develop a relationship with it, there there cannot be an alleviation of pressure. There's no conduit for that pressure to pass. It stops because of our resistance to looking at it. It turns away. Because what feeds the pressure is the mind's opinion of it. That's the only place pressure can come from. It comes from the pump of the mind. It doesn't come from the body. The body has no has no opinion about anything. The mind is what opinionates and because of that it can pressures everything. And it's the pressure, it's the it's the incomplete agreement we have with things that creates the bondage of that thing over us. And so when we realize that fact we realize in addition to that fact that to heal this we have to pay attention to it and to pay attention to it doesn't mean that we sort of irresolutely show up we have to resolve to show up so you see it changes the nature of what showing up means showing up isn't just showing up and not being consciously attentive to something. that We call that commitment. That means my body will be here, but my mind could be in Hawaii. But I'm here for you. Don't seem to be. No, I'm here for you. You see? Well, my body is here. So we, we use the body as the placeholder for ourselves. And then we don't have to show up. But when we realize that for anything to heal, we have to show up with the body. Yes, the body has to be in place. That's the commitment. And then the resolve, the, the healing comes from the connection of the mind to that thing. And immediately, the, what we, what, and this is the dis, um, discouraging fact of showing up for something, is that we see the pain of our unresolved quality of it. Whenever we have turned away for something of our, because we uh, believe it to be a certain thing, then when we show up to it, we have to face 
the belief, our belief, of that being a certain thing. And so that comes at us. And we think, oh, God, this is awful. Well, the first wave is awful, but stay the ground. Stay the ground. And suddenly it becomes harmonious. The nature of the relationship can change. And once the nature of the relationship can change, the pressure we've built up in our opinions about something is alleviated. And the anxiety associated with it is alleviated. And the stress that accumulates around it is... You see, the whole thing becomes unpackaged. So if we don't ever have a relationship with the body, it will hold the stress of our lifetime because it gets compact. It's just more going in, nothing coming out. As soon as we're willing to show up for it, then we start allowing the emission process. But see, that doesn't allow... Here's an, There's so many reasons why we don't come into our body. We're just covering a few of them today. Another reason is that we don't we don't trust it. it doesn't allow us f- uh, to move uh, where we want to go, which is in fantasy. When we're st- in the body, it doesn't allow us to, if we stay connected to it, which is the grounded moment. We can't play in the, on the surf of our fantasy. We can't ride the waves of our imagination because the body holds us to a grounded to a grounded. Um, immediacy so well I want to play so when we want to play in fantasy we have to disassociate from the body in order to free that element up and most of us have invested so strongly in our world of imagination which is another definition of pain and as a culture we invite imagination which is inviting an orientation to life that is unreal. Now, does that what I would invite rather than imagination in the young is creativity. That's a that's a very different it's a very different orientation than pretending that you're a duck or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe has has some I I have not had children, so I want to take myself out of the, out of that educational process. It may be valuable for a child to pretend like he's a whatever, but as an adult, it's not. I can promise you that. <laughs> but for an adult, the 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 art of creativity is a is a is a so how does that fit into what we're saying? How isn't that imagination? No, it's not. It's non-opinionation. When we show up for something and we don't have opinions about it, then our relationship can be anything. Suddenly, what it was in our relationship to it and its potential becomes um, infinite rather than limited by what I believe it to be. You see, when I bring a, an idea of something to it, and I only hold that thing to the idea I believe of it, then it can only be that. It can only feed that one conduit of idea. But if I release the idea of what that is, then there's a whole creati- creativity that can come out of that. You see? That's where creativity comes from. So we have to understand what creativity is. These things that we 
long for in our life, we just don't know how to access because we have never been oriented to them in a correct way. We think imagination is creativity. Imagination isn't creativity. It's just letting yourself get loose, loss in thought. Spontaneity, what's spontaneity? Spontaneity is creativity in action. What moves the body in a creative moment is very different than what moves it in a reflective moment. And so, when we get, okay, so in nothing, none of this, no spontaneity, no creativity occurs except by showing up for it. And yes, it's, I mean, we have to go through the problems of showing up. Of course, there's not, there's going to be a downside or everybody would show up. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we just, okay, let's go in the bodies, you know, and just frolic in there because we're met with all of our past. We're met with our history. We're met with the scar tissue. And because that seems to implicate us and our story and what we aren't and how we've never been and the mistakes we've made and the lack of forgiveness we have and all of that, we'd rather just turn the page on that book. Well, turning the page on that book doesn't alleviate it from the body or the mind. It just makes it repressed or denied. And when we realize that the whole joy of life, everything is to get it all flowing, moving again, to get it all working to get it all in movement. And yes, we'll be feeling and, you know, it all be... But all of that, it feels alive to us. Hmm? And the final reason I want to talk about why we uh, distract ourselves from the body is that the body, once we get through the waves of emotional residue that's contained in there. And the body holds the stillness that we're most afraid of. And perhaps from time to time as you embody yourself, you'll feel or intimate or sense this sense of stillness that the body holds. It's not going anywhere. It's not thinking itself out of anywhere. And when the mind does not try to journey away from that stillness, it becomes still as well. And stillness is frightening. Because we can't maintain ourselves in stillness. We can't be who we are except in noise. We can't maintain our image except constantly telling ourselves who we are in this situation, which is why we have so much noise in the mind, is that we're constantly telling ourselves who we are. So when we sit down in quietude, that jabber maintains itself. Like this and this one, but when we are willing to march this thing, come what may, let me feel it, good, okay, yes, memories, feelings, and then stillness. Memories, feelings, the jolt of aging, the certainty of death, all of those things the body contains, doesn't it? Contains 
the, chrono- the chronology of our life and the expectations of where our life is going, the certainty of where our life is going to go, which is death. That body holds the fact that we are going to die, doesn't it? So once we go through all of that, which can be done for 25 years, it can be a 25-year sentence. <laughs> it's true. This depends on... Uh, so, if we're willing to be quiet with it, Look what it contains. Something beyond measure. Something vast. Because now stillness, silence, doesn't hold the boundaries that have kept me perturbed within my body. Suddenly it opens up into vast, vast space. And because uh, egoically we need edges, we come back into ourselves and continue the noise and continue the battle, continue the struggle. As we continue the struggle, we then reform and reinterpret and redefine ourselves all along the way. And we're held into the certainty of our own image. And just because it's defined by the struggle and conflict we're having with the body and with the mind and with the memories and with all of that. All of that, each rub gives us a sense of identity within the rub. Right? You know who you are by your enemies. It's called shadow boxing. Because that's all we ever box with. And that's why I say it can be done in an instant. If we're willing to go there... There is nothing we need to struggle with. And the possibility, the potentiality of what life could be is revealed. It's interesting to watch each of you in reflection to what I just said some of you look away which is not from me but it's from your own potential some of you won't meet the possibility that's there for you and if we don't do it when we're defining what we do as doing it when will we do it because this is as close as we may ever come. And so we sit here, you see, together. Can we feel this? Of course we can. Do we have the courage to continue to open even to that and that too and yep because that's all it takes
Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.